it was essentially what happened in in the theme market where you know there's this just race to the bottom right this episode of the matt report is brought to you by the team at valet Valet helps brands unleash their potential with real-time metrics, intelligent recommendations, and that age-old method of having an awesome team to back it all up. See, my friends at Valet are up to something really, really cool. But first, let me ask you this question. Every time you build a website for a client, don't you feel like you're making the web a better place? Well, here's the thing. Valet's got something in the works that will let you back that claim up. It's called Valet Metrics, and you can get your free website snapshot over at valetmetrics.com. It's an amazing tool. You get in-depth analysis of a website covering security, speed, usability, traffic, conversions, all wrapped up in this beautiful reporting dashboard that provides action, not fluff. You and Valet, making WordPress and the web a better place. Get your snapshot at valetmetrics.com. It's episode number nine, season four of The Matt Report, and today my good friend Ryan Sullivan joins us. Ryan is the founder of WP Sitecare and just a down-to-earth business guy, and I really enjoy the way he runs his business, uh, and it comes down to just supporting customers at a fair price, being highly communicative, and just building a great team all around that, and uh, he's really established himself in the community and is you know one of the leaders in WordPress monthly support businesses and we see those crop up many many times and ryan and i talk about that and what that was like for him and how he sort of set himself apart from sort of those pop-up shops that we've seen over the years come and go definitely a great ins- uh, insights into that and very interesting conversation about how he started LoopConf and what recently happened with the hurricane coming through and how he had to cancel it and move it uh, to a different date which was recently announced so definitely check that out if you're interested in an all developers conference it's Matt Report, mattreport.com slash subscribe, stay connected, five-star review. If you so choose, if you enjoy episodes like this, I'd really appreciate it. And thank our sponsors, Pagely and Valet. Let's get into the show. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Uh, you know, just three and a half years and I finally got you on. <laughs> yeah, what, t- what took us so long? Uh, I wasn't happy with that lobster roll that you bought me down in Newport, so, you know... Just oh, like, you've been holding a, you've been holding a sandwich grudge. I've been holding a sandwich grudge. I've been holding a sandwich grudge. Uh, for folks that don't know, I've known Ryan for quite some time. We go uh, we go some Twitter banter every now and again. Famously, when I posted something about five hundred dollar clients, he re, he rebuttaled that uh, with a uh, a warm welcome to the five hundred dollar client. That was years ago, so we're going to find out if that still rings true today. Uh, but folks that don't know Ryan, Ryan, who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, I'm Ryan. I uh, live in the beautiful state of Utah. I run uh, I run a customer support company. Uh, we take care of the technical needs of our customers, primarily in the WordPress space. Uh, and you know, we're just a uh, WP Site Care is the name of that company. Uh, if I didn't mention it, uh, and we're just very focused on providing fantastic customer support experiences for our uh, for our customers. You say primarily WordPress. Do you do? Are you getting into other uh, CMSs or just maintaining other types of projects? Uh, a little bit of both. So while we haven't while we haven't uh, totally branched out into uh, any other platform uh, specifically, we do have customers who have a, you know a number of different needs outside of 
WordPress that are still very much tied into how their business operates online. Uh, so we find ourselves supporting a lot more than uh, just you know the WordPress application and its plugins and themes. We uh, end up you know tying into you know third-party email providers and all, all sorts you know different e-commerce platforms and uh, third-party services and their APIs and all this kind of different stuff. So uh, we kind of take a more uh, holistic approach, I guess. Uh, we don't just say when a customer comes to us with a need that they that may might be a little bit outside of WordPress. We don't just say, oh, you need to, you know, talk to so and so. We try and uh, help make ourselves an expert in that area too when we can. And so that's yeah. So that's I guess why we're I say primarily. Yeah, uh, and I was curious because I mean, you and I have been in the space for for a while now, and uh, years ago, I can't. Which is funny that it's actually been this long. I. I do a series, and I should bring it back. I tell myself I should bring it back, and maybe this will be my uh, line in the sand that I should bring it back for 2017, uh, is the, uh, the Matterport WordPress Startup Challenge, right? And so a few years ago, uh, one of, and this is like, if, if folks, if you are new to the show, uh, this is where I did like a Shark Tank kind of thing where we had some uh, startups coming on like uh, in the WordPress space sort of pitch their idea to a panel of judges, and the judges sort of picked who won. And... Years ago, we had a little company called WP Curve show up on the scene when they first launched. Um, I think they did, in fact, take first place during that uh, during that episode. And back then, it was like, oh my god! Like you're doing, I think when they first launched, they were doing uh, like monthly support for fifty bucks a month, maybe even thirty bucks a month for like unlimited changes to their WordPress site. And from there, we saw, or at least I did, from my perspective, a lot of support companies crop up a lot of uh you know for one flat fee we will take care of everything and i'm just looking at wp curves website today and i see now that their pricing is a lot different (laughs) than it used to be Uh, so now i see 79 per month with a, a minimum of three months i believe your plans are a lot higher because you're doing a lot more but i mean what have you seen change in the market from two years ago till today uh I mean, a lot. Our two years ago, our prices were a lot different too. Uh, what uh, there? When I, you know, you said you have seen a lot of these companies pop up. Uh, you know, if you have certain like Google searches set up, you can literally probably see a new one every single day that's just launching or just you know. And, and the thing that that I began to see watching all these different companies crop up is. Very, very few. Everybody was catering to the best price and the you know offering the most line items for that price, and it, it was you know it was essentially what happened in in the theme market where you know there was just just race to the bottom, right? And I didn't want to be caught up in that game at all because providing the quality of support and the level of like customer like quality customer experience that. I have always wanted from day one of this company was never going to happen if we just kept cutting prices lower and lower and lower. Mm. So, uh, so that, that's like, that was a very conscious, you know, we, we've bumped up our prices some and it was a very conscious decision to kind of, uh, help customers understand, like to be able to give you like a, a high quality, like we're your partner type experience 
We can't do that for 29 bucks a month or 39 bucks a month. And what's been really interesting over the last two years is as quickly as you see them crop up, you see them start to slowly disappear. And so, you know, if they're bringing up a plan that, you know, if there's, well, we can do it for $9 a month, right? Well, you know, that's great, except for you figured out after six months that you can't and you disappeared. And so, you know, it's definitely a longevity play where we're going to be in, in this business for a long time. And, uh, and partner with people for a long time. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest shift I've seen is, you know, the, the companies who have kind of adapted, Valet is one, we're one, who have kind of adapted to this, you know, more small business, medium business, upper tier uh, type customer and really supporting them the best we can. We're the ones that seem to be staying around a lot longer too. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Pagely. Pagely, where we help big brands scale WordPress, it's enterprise WordPress hosting in the Amazon cloud. If you're building big, powerful WordPress websites for your clients, you need big, powerful hosting, and Pagely delivers. I use Pagely for my websites and e-commerce shops, so I trust their service, and I have no issues recommending them to you. Look, I only bring on sponsors that I trust. And who else trusts Pagely? Verizon, eBay, Disney, Twitter, and more, you can see that right on the homepage of their website. Pagely is the OG of WordPress managed hosting, and they're innovating the market every single day. If your clients trust you to write scalable code, then trust Pagely to host it for you. Check out pagely.com. You know, and and there's a lot of folks listening to this that might be doing this type of, of service, and they might be charging, you know, those those lesser rates. And some do it because... You know, like you said, you can set up Google searches and you can kind of get alerted when these things happen. And I think that there's like in any business, there's like half of the crowd that just says, oh, this is this is going to be easy cash. Like I, I heard Ryan on a podcast. I heard the WP Curve guys on this other podcast and and look how like look how much money you can make. And they kind of look at it from the short sighted. Like if I just get 10 customers at 100 bucks a month, it's or, you know, even less, whatever. They start to look at just the numbers. Right. And they're like, well, all I have to do is do this, that. And it doesn't take me much to check a theme. So you get these people who do it from like a cash grab point of view and those fizzle out. Then there's the folks yeah. who are just who, who are just instinctively like, oh, well, you know, they just they value their time and maybe their time is you know right now they're they're doing it part time and maybe a hundred bucks a month is is a lot of money to them and for what their value is it works for for their type of client uh, but the the thing is about that second person that second avatar is they will number one want to provide good service and number two they're going to change as the market changes so maybe eventually they realize wow I can't do this at scale. And now my prices have to go up um, to, in order to provide better quality. And, and I think that uh, it's a two-pronged sword in, this, in WordPress and in any other business, but definitely WordPress because it's such an easier barrier of entry um, to, begin, totally. to, to begin a service, uh, a service company. Yeah, to kind of add to that, that, I mean, that was one of the things that uh, I, I think for a while, I don't know if they still do that, but WP Curve was publishing like revenue reports or something and uh, that was one of the things that actually it really bothered me. Not not because I mean, great for them if they're being successful or whatever, but it kind of created this allure to this business, right? Where it, it was very much a, all I need is a managed WP account and it's set and forget after that, and uh, you know, passive income for the rest of my life. And 
this business is very like anybody who's lived in it is very much not that. And, and, and I also have to add one more disclaimer, like we never would have been able to kind of increase our prices if we hadn't established like a really solid reputation for two or three years before that. Right. So it wasn't the type of thing where, uh, so, so for the people who are out there just like, you know, do, doing their own thing and they, like you said, they can do it for 49 bucks a month because that's a meaningful, you know, amount of money for them and their family. Like for all, by all means do that, like keep doing that because if you get it built to a certain point, then, you know, you'll have enough people behind you saying, uh, enough customer support, customer people, customers behind you saying, oh yeah, like it's a little bit more money, but this is the team I want on my side. And so, uh, yeah, just two points I kind of wanted to add there. Yeah. And this is becoming much more uh, focused on, amplified uh, in the WordPress space nowadays. So of course, I'm always one to throw my my theory, uh, my conspiracy theory hat on. And I feel like it's where really 2016 has been the year of sort of the, the bubble bursting, right? It, it not at a, in a dramatic sense, like the housing market or the financial market, but I really feel like we're starting to see people who are like, wow, uh, just because I put WordPress on my business card is no longer sending me business. Like I thought just having WordPress on my title would, you know, print the money for me. Uh, or right. I, I see a lot of people who now are like, wow, it's, it's pretty hard to, to run a business and to grow revenue. I mean, right now there is a ridiculous amount of inventory available for top tier developers that are freelancers. And I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that, that there are, that people aren't getting scooped up left and right. Like we once thought maybe years ago, um, there's no question there. It's more of just like a statement kind of thing, but I just feel like we're in this sort of zone where the, the plugin or maybe I'll call it the theme bubble or the, or the builder bubble is sort of bursting and we're about to go on another upswing, whatever that might be. I think we're just at the lower point right now. Do you feel the same sort of sense? The low point might be the wrong phrase, but I mean, I feel like we're, no, I, I hear what you're saying though. So yeah, definitely, you know, uh, three, four years ago, uh, we were, we were totally seeing like, are we going to have, or are we ever going to have workforce to meet this demand? Right. right. And, uh, everybody, like anybody who was any good at all was, was turning business away. Like it was, it was like, well, we just, we just cannot, uh, we cannot support this right now. And, uh, here's another person. And then you'd refer them to somebody else. And that person was booked out six months. And it was like, that was definitely the case three or four years ago. And we've seen a shift there too. And I think part of the, part of the shift has been, uh, due to, uh, you know, kind of this, a, a lot of services cropping up that, um, you know, provide uh, maybe a portion or, uh, or uh, of what you do, or maybe not, maybe the, you know, line item by line item, things match up, but, uh, the, the overall quality just is, is suffering or whatever, but, but you, we definitely don't have, uh, a lack, a lack of talent. That's not, uh, an issue that it seemed like we were going to have. And then, uh, and now we don't have it. So we, we've seen a similar trend and, uh, it, it was kind of funny because it kind of hit right around, 
we saw hints of it right around the same time we changed our pricing. And so I was like, well, what in the world did I just do? Like, uh, like was, was this a horrible mistake? And then after a while, after we got more messaging out and like really helped people understand, uh, why we made some of the changes we did, uh, you know, we started having more customers come through the door and everything was fine again. But there was a period where I was like, this is the, this is, you know, a terrible business decision, questioning everything. And, uh, and it ended up being great and, you know, things are fine now, but I've seen that, I've seen that same trend you're, you're referring to. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things sort of that I've been also sort of chatting about recently, especially in this season of the Merit Report is tools are getting, tools are getting better. Uh, you know, I hate to say it. I know you have strong opinions on it. I know your team has strong opinions on it, but page builders, uh, are becoming uh, a little bit easier to use. They're becoming slightly better. Uh, the WordPress customizer is starting to improve. Hosting providers, uh, especially the big names, are beginning to improve their onboarding process with WordPress. Uh, hosting's getting faster, cheaper. I mean, all of these things are starting to align with the end user, folks that may have come knocking on our doors, you and I, or people listening to the show. Uh, but these tools that are so available to them that they can finally maybe, maybe start to do it themselves where, you know, that, that lower end consultant, that lower price consultant, the 500 to $1,000 price consultant is starting to, to see some of that business go away. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on the, the ease of use of building a website uh, for somebody who doesn't want to hire a professional, right? Uh, I mean, are there any words of advice for somebody like, yeah, you can do it, but look out for X, Y, and Z <laughs> because yeah, sure. this is the real cost. Yeah. I, and just to like, you know, make it clear that there are, there's definitely a varying, uh, there, there's this, there's a sliding scale of page builder quality. Uh, some, I will, you know, I will say absolutely are just absolutely terrible. But, you know, there are some companies that have that have done a good job of putting together, you know, solid. Uh, the, the main reason we ever have any, well, me personally, the main reason I ever have any, uh, you know, anything to say about page builders at, at all has nothing to do with ease of use or whether or not they're good for the customer, like in the moment. It's it's a blind spot to customers about uh, content lock-in, which uh, basically means they can build all this, you know, they can build all these pages with this page builder and that's great. But as soon as they need to move away from that plugin because of something custom they want to do or, uh, you know, some other feature they want to add to their site that their page builder won't support, the moment they want to do that and turn this page builder off, all of their content is a garbled mess that they can't. So that's content locking, right? And, and and that is like a blind spot. That's a big blind spot for people who want to build their websites. And that's the only reason I've really ever spoken out against them at all. I mean, there's lots of other technical reasons like, you know, code quality and all that kind of stuff, which frankly is, is not a huge concern of mine. Um, I'm more worried about uh, the customer, you know, the consumer's business and like, How's this going to impact them five years down the road or even next year when the next cool page builder comes out and they want to use that one instead, right? So so that's definitely uh, something I would, you know, uh, 
have people who want to build their own site be very aware of is are you going to be subject to content lock-in? Are, are you going to, like, if you ask the developer or the creator of the plugin what's going to happen if you ever want to stop using their plugin? And maybe maybe don't ask the developer. Maybe ask somebody else uh, who isn't just interested in gathering gathering your money. But uh, So there's that. Um, other things to think about, I, I think just in general, um, you know, they're... they're the overall maintenance of a website is something that gets overlooked a lot. You know, it kind of becomes, uh, in more, in a lot of ways, it really becomes an insurance policy for your website. And it's 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 so dumb because they're the services that you don't need until you know you absolutely need them. Uh, and so that's that's another thing to keep in mind. You know, if you do want to go the DIY route, is at the very least, I would even if you don't want to pay you know, upfront for something custom or, you know, maybe you're just testing out an idea. I'm practical, right? I don't want to tell people to go spend $10,000 on a business idea that they don't even know if it's going to work or not. Uh, So if you do just want to start out with a test, something simple, whatever, I think at the very least, it makes a lot of sense to have a team behind you that you can lean on and ask questions to and, you know, say like, am I at least headed in the right direction? You know, that, that kind of, that kind of like ongoing feedback loop ends up being incredibly valuable and saving a lot of heartache. Uh, if, you know, if you have that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it too, isn't the end user's fault. Like we, we like to sort of blame them and, and nine times out of 10, it wasn't their fault that they have a page builder on it page builder running on their site, especially a bad one. Um, it was the consultant, right? And I, to me, it's like, we have to educate the consultant so that the, you know, top down or middle down (laughs) trickle effect, uh, uh, Trump down economics, uh, will go downstream and, uh, sort of impact, you know, what the consultants are putting in, educating them, uh, and then, also, it lending to the success of our end user, who you know might leave that consultant and find someone like uh, someone like you and I. I really think that people can frame the page builders, and not to get too deep into a page builder discussion here, but I think people can can frame that as an add-on, right? Uh, you know, as a as an added service. So while you while it's making you uh, making your job slightly easier to build layouts for pages uh, for your customer. There's that technical overhead that you're going to have to deal with uh, for both you and your customer. I think that you that some consultants could probably position saying, hey, look, um, we can make this a little bit easier for you to customize your site, but I'm going to charge you, uh, I don't know, a service fee of 500 bucks right. for me to use, say, Beaver Builder on this site. And that way I can train you how to use it. But I just want to let you know, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, that you can break your website doing this. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you do it. Always with the disclaimer, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you do, we can fix it. But I think positioning and, and, and setting up value can be done a little bit better from consultants. Um, your team does a phenomenal job at content marketing. Um, you did. Uh, and of course, I'm such a great podcast host here. I forgot to have the article up in front of me, but you did a 20 some odd hour, uh, screen recording of people using other platforms, uh, like Wix, like Squarespace. Um, 
do you, do you see any kind of lesson? I mean, short of marketing, but do you see any kind of lesson that you learn from that that WordPress, uh, not dot com, but WordPress.org could use and leverage to improve the software? Yeah. So there were. That was such an interesting experiment, actually. So uh, what we did is we essentially had people set up a website for the very first time and go through very common tasks that anybody who is building a website would have to do. So maybe you have to add your logo to the homepage or add a site, like add an about page that explains who, who you are and what you do. Or, you know, add, add an image gallery, which, you know, for small business, for small businesses, these are all the types of, you know, actions that are just necessary regardless of the platform that you choose. And, uh, we used, we used usertesting.com and had, uh, we, we chose a very select group of people too. So it was a pretty focused, uh, group. Everybody had to have used, um, I'm trying to remember. So the, the age range was something like 18. The age range was pretty wide. It was, uh, I, th- I think it was 18 to 55, equal male, female. Uh, but there were some technical requirements that you had to meet. And I can't remember exactly what they were. Uh, but uh, but these were like relatively savvy people, right? And so having them take uh, these baseline ta- tasks and perform them on each of the different platforms and seeing the different results was like just totally eye-opening and when we so one of the things that uh we saw that was kind of a pattern for people who were using wordpress is whenever the the whole i think uh changing the design of a website was one of the tasks that we gave them so essentially what that means in wordpress you know jargon is you go in and you change the theme and that was a real stumbling block for people. And I don't know if it was because what they saw as a preview was way different than what they expected it to look like or what it, even finding the place to change the design seemed to be a a little bit of a challenge for people. Um, and and so that was, that was one, uh, you know, figuring out what it looks like to, because when you look at Squarespace or Wix, both of those did a pretty good job in that area. Essentially what they do is they put a massive grid of designs in front of you and even filter based on the type of business you run or the type of company you run. And the, you know, the, uh, the theme repository does this to some degree, but the visual that people see in Wix and, uh, and Squarespace right now is, is superior. And so people had an easier time going through and choosing, Oh, this is what I want the new design for my website to be on the other platforms from a content publishing standpoint, WordPress kind of killed the competition in every other, like it, it wasn't close. It would take, uh, it would take Wix and Squarespace people forever to figure out how to add, you know, any type of, image gallery or even even pages sometimes uh wordpress on the content management side was pretty dominant so but yeah i think i think that kind of thing that design change piece of of dot org could be uh you know could be a place that could use some attention sure um 
Let's shift gears a, a little bit. Uh, well, I guess not really. Content marketing, um, attracting an audience, building an audience. Uh, LoopConf uh, is something that you put on. I sadly haven't attended one, but this is a developer-focused conference. Uh, you are you were about to launch Loop LoopConf number two, right? Or not launch, but host LoopConf number two down in Florida. And uh, unlucky, you were struck by Hurricane Matthew. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so take us down that road. Uh, I can't even imagine planning. I remember the you know the first one in Vegas was was quite uh, the undertaking uh, in terms of logistics and uh, getting the speakers and getting people there. I mean, I can't even imagine uh, what it's like to host a conference that size, but then to sort of call it all off. And I, I don't want to steal all the, the, sh the thunder here, but uh, I'll let you take over. But give us the rundown of, of Hurricane Matthew and LoopConf. Yeah, so bottom line, it sucked really bad. <laughs> uh, like that's the easiest thing to say. Uh, so essentially the logistics of um, – Planning a conference in a hotel conference center uh, in a place that's very far away from where any of the organizers live, uh, and and I can get into location choice a little bit uh, in, in a minute, but uh, and, and then coordinating flights from all over the world, right? Uh, I mean, we had speakers coming literally from Australia, from all over Europe, from different places in the U S and, uh, th there are just a lot of logistics involved with all of that. And then there's all the on the ground logistics for the event itself, you know, working with a whole bunch of third party vendors and the hotel and, uh, you know, AV staff and, and all the different things that go into something like that. There's just a lot of moving parts. And, uh, so probably the, probably the thing that will be most interesting to people is, to just kind of walk you through the the two days leading the three days leading up to the event. Sure. So the the hurricane hit. Uh, well, the hurricane got on our radar maybe like the Thursday before the event, and so obviously radars are up and we're paying very close attention to everything that's happening, and we go through and uh, start seeing. Uh, you know, we're we're all. We're all becoming weather experts all of a sudden, right? <laughs> we're we're following the track of this thing and saying, okay, well, what's the reality that this is gonna, you know, actually screw us up? And you know, wondering all these things. And and up until Monday, so the the event was supposed to be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Up until Monday, all the forecasts had the hurricane staying off the coast, and you know. The, the effects would be maybe, you know, some winds that are 30, 40 miles an hour and some and some rain, which still wasn't ideal. I mean, we had hoped to have kind of this like, you know, sunny Florida event, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. So Monday night, well, Monday afternoon, uh, the storm took a pretty heavy shift and Monday night, they the hurricane whatever the hurricane gods, whoever, you know, the official hurricane people are, uh, came out with an announcement on Monday evening that the, um, that the hurricane had shifted a little bit. And when that announcement came out, we started to see a trickle of like people on Twitter saying, uh Oh, like what's going to happen. And then we'll started getting a few emails from speakers saying, Hey, what's, 
like, is this thing really happening? You know, this, and, and so we start like just little, it wasn't a lot initially. Uh, most people were very much like, okay, yeah, we're going to be there and, uh, everything will work out. So Monday night, I didn't really sleep at all. Uh, I was in Florida by that time. Uh, I didn't really sleep at all. I was watching every single, you know, every single outrageous headline that came across the news feed and, you know, watching every storm tracker and learning that most meteorologists just guess like everybody else. But, uh, yeah, so we, then, then Tuesday morning, the next, uh, Tuesday morning we started getting some more emails, uh, from concerned people, which rightfully so. And at 11 o'clock in the morning was the next official report from uh, the Hurricane Center. And they said that Fort Lauderdale, Florida was officially what they call a hurricane warning zone. So there's a hurricane watch zone, which is like you might be impacted. When you're in a hurricane warning zone, essentially that means this thing's hitting you like probably directly. And, uh, Beware. And so it was saying, you know, Thursday night to Friday morning is when the majority of the impact would happen. And sure, like, and sure enough, that those are the exact dates of, you know, the main part of our conference. And so uh, we had to make some very quick decisions on Tuesday morning. Uh, we were prepared to make a plan to reschedule. We didn't want to because it, it meant losing a lot of money and, uh, but, but at the end of the day, like we couldn't not, you know, postpone it if people were going to be in danger. That was just like, that would have been just like totally reckless and irresponsible. And so we chose, uh, to, to postpone it as quickly as we could. We wanted to get the word out as fast as we could Tuesday morning, uh, just in case, because most people were going to be flying in on Wednesday and we had about, we had about 35 people show up on Tuesday. So some flying like we had we I felt so terrible we had four people three three guys from Australia fly direct they knew nothing about any of the weather and they landed they came to the hotel and the first thing they heard was that the event was being rescheduled and the looks on their they were so fantastic uh like the way they responded but uh my heart was totally broken for them um but anyway, yeah, so so we decided to reschedule it. We're working on exactly what that looks like. Um, we have most of our plans pretty much set for um, what what the next phase is, but can't really say anything until all the details are finalized, which should be today or tomorrow. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now. Uh, we were able to keep like 200 and some odd people from coming in the first place, so that was – that, that we considered kind of a win. And, you know, I have to say too, uh, kind of the response from, from the community was, was really encouraging to me. We had, we had a few people who, uh, you know, were real been out of shape. Uh, but I, I like the vast majority of, uh, everybody was just totally fantastic and totally supportive of our decision. And, and, and like I said, it, it was a decision that, was tough to make from because we were going to lose a lot of money, but it was also easy to make because uh, we're not. There, there's like just no scenario where we put people in danger, right? Mm. Yeah, no, I mean that's definitely the 
the best move for uh, for mankind uh, to not, to not just hold on to the uh, you know hold on to the event and say either one too bad uh, if you don't show up it's it's still happening even though nobody would be there <laughs> right um, and, and number two the, for the safety concerns definitely so definitely a good move on your part and like I said um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't headed down but seeing the reaction from people on Twitter or or maybe even lack of reaction, uh, as as to say there was no outrage, um, you know, was obviously a, a, a testament to your team doing a good job and, and the community understanding. What does that? Yeah, look, yeah, yeah. What does that look like from the from the business perspective? Maybe you can't say it yet because details are being hammered out. But is it something where when you have the new one scheduled, people have to rebuy tickets to attend, or what does that look like? Uh, no. So. Essentially, what? Well, yeah. So essentially, the way it'll work is, um, we, uh, you know, people who have bought tickets already, we're just going to operate under the assumption that they're going to attend the new one. If for some reason that changes when the new details come out, we understand there might be conflicting schedules or whatever. Uh, you know, they'll be able to request a refund, and and we'll get that back to them. That's not a big deal. But but right for right now, we're going to just operate under the assumption that. Everybody who was going to come to this first one, like I said, we we got you know over 200 people. We were able to get their flights, uh, and, and we worked through uh, flight like total refunds with um, with airlines for two straight days for a lot of the attendees. Some airlines were giving them hassle and whatever, but we were able to get pretty much. I mean, as far as I know, pretty much everybody got their money back on flights too. So. Uh, so we were able to mitigate a lot of the issues there. And so, yeah, so we're going to, we, we will actually open up t- ticket sales again um, because I can't, I can't like, I can't give too many details, but I will say that um, the next uh, iteration of loop comp won't be uh, in Florida. And uh, so uh, we are going to open up tickets uh, again in case uh, you know, this, new location works better for people or uh, those kind of things. Like turning around and replanning this entire thing in three months, you just run into so many roadblocks. We started planning the last one 15 months ahead, right? Right. So so just like even even venue availability and all that kind of thing just becomes a real issue when you're trying to turn it around quick. But but yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're at right now is uh, hammering out the details for the next iteration. We uh, you know, we really hope that, uh, everybody who was planning on, uh, coming last time can, can still make it. And, and if not, then we'll handle that situation too. Sure. Sure. Um, for anybody in the audience who maybe wants to put on a small event, uh, you know, something that might not be hundreds of people, but a hundred and under, uh, venue, like picking venues, inside baseball, negotiating, anything that you've learned along the way that's sort of a glaring, uh, you know, how-to or pro tip that you can provide from creating uh, events? Yeah, so I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, uh, not, not an area where I thought I would ever need to or become an expert, but, uh, but I, I've learned a lot. So I would say, um, you know, a lot of things that get overlooked frequently and these are just these are just kind of like things you have to do but you know any if you have any type of permit uh 
if you need any type of permit, make sure you get that. Uh, be sure to secure insurance for your event. Now, there's there's different levels of insurance, right? So there's like liability insurance, which covers people's safety uh, while they're at your event. Uh, but there's also different levels of, um, you know, there's different levels of insurance for actually covering situations that are kind of out of your control, like like a hurricane. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we have some insurance, but even even like an even another level of insurance, like what we had, uh, which is a higher level, even that doesn't account for a lot of lost things, like. A lot of things like you have to pay, you know, a deposit to a lot of third-party vendors, right? Well, if you're canceling in the last 24 hours, even regardless of the risk, uh, oh, so so this is the thing I will say: uh, if you are going to sign a third-party contract with uh, with a vendor, make sure that there is a very concrete what's called a force majeure clause in the contract, which essentially says if there is an act of God. Uh, and make it very clear what the definition of of that is, what what the definition of uh, of an act of God is, because we we worked with some vendors that said, you know, well, yeah, there's a hurricane, but we only, in fact, up until, um, yeah, essentially said, yeah, there was a hurricane, but uh, you still could have had the event if blah blah blah, and it's like, well. There was no there was no feasible way for us to do that, but I understand that you know as a vendor you may have lost some money or lost time or something, uh, and so we had to work on really negotiating down what our um, ultimate losses were going to be with with a number of vendors, um, and and figuring that out. So I think I think that's probably a really good thing, especially if you're in an area like you know Florida, Southern California. Where there could be there could be an earthquake, hurricane, or something. Have your lawyer review uh, and see like very clearly what defines, you know, an act of God and, and what happens if if that occurs. Uh, what? Yeah. So so that's that's probably a, a big one. I mean, it, it's such a rare case, right? But you you still, uh, yeah, it's still a good thing to to cover your cover your bases. Yeah. Um, what For about, a small, yeah, go ahead. What, what I was going to say, what about pre, like pre-funding and, and maybe this gets inside baseball stuff, but sponsorship, um, you know, ticket sales, is it, you know, like some people talk about launching a minimal viable product and they sell like 15 licenses before the product's even fully built, built out. And is there any of that in any of this that uh, can help sort of ease the pain of sort of cash flow and making sure that you can you can actually sell an event before you book it with a vendor or location that kind of thing? Um, I mean, just from a marketing perspective, I've found that unless you have a history of putting on events, you kind of have to have all of those things in place before you can say it's going to happen. Now, uh, uh, on the sponsorship side, you know, none of these events really happen without sponsors of some kind. And so I would, you know, before you kind of step out and say, yeah, we're going to do this cool thing, make sure you have relationships uh, and have educated like your, the people, you know, uh, 
who could be potential sponsors, make sure they know what it is you're working on, like, and that you are going to do this event and that you would be interested in having them sponsor. And, you know, get, get, also give sponsors realistic expectations. Uh, well, you want to make sure that you're not, you know, and I, I've seen, I've seen this with some other events, but you don't want to tell customer, you don't want to tell sponsors that, yeah, you know, we anticipate a thousand people, and this, you know, like a niche conference inside of WordPress, and and then you have, you know, then you end up selling sixty tickets, right? It's like it's like client work. You want to you want to manage expectations as much as possible, and so like year one, you shouldn't be you shouldn't really be giving any type of you know information unless you already have five thousand people on a waiting list to buy tickets for whatever you're whatever you're selling. You shouldn't uh, tell. You shouldn't go to sponsors and say, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have 500 people there," and it's gonna because I'll be like selling tickets is hard, right. and so you uh, don't promise something you can't deliver. Sure. Um, one last question to sort of wrap things up on the pricing the tickets. Uh, much like pricing product, I, I've seen. I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think when you launched the tickets for the first one, some people are like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. If yeah, I'm, it is. <laughs> uh, if I'm correct. It was. Right? Uh, but number one, I think that we're all a little, what's the word? Um, spoiled with WordCamp tickets, right? 40 bucks, 20 bucks. Like, this is laughable. These are laughable ticket prices. Um, you know, purposely done because, you know, WordPress Foundation and all this fun stuff and it's, you know, accessible to everybody, that kind of thing. But really good events cost a good amount of money. And um, it's not unheard of to pay thousands of dollars to go to an event in other markets, right? Uh, sure. So, I mean, what, did you learn anything with sort of marketing ticket pricing and, and, and reinforcing the value of ticket pricing with a customer, much like one would do with maybe pricing their plugin or theme or something like that? Right. Yeah. So essentially, well, I have, I have, two, I have two thoughts sure. on this. Uh, one, we announced ticket prices too early, meaning there was not enough context for people to go. Oh, I see why that costs as much as it does. Mm, that's a great point. And so there was a ton of context missing, and uh, and you know the people who ended up coming ended up having zero problem with uh, you know the feedback we the the overall like overwhelming feedback we got from the first year was there was a fantastic value you know based on what people but we we kind of put the cart before the horse and we're you know, kind of just like, oh, well, this is how much it costs without explaining this is why it costs what it does. And that's, you know, that's a, that's like, you know, marketing 101. That's a, that's a terrible mistake. So, so we blew it there. Um, the, the other part is, uh, the, the, my second thought is, uh, you know, make sure. So, so the reason we have come up with any type of pricing for any of the, you know, tickets, we, everything is based on like a very specific budget, right? Like we weren't just like pulling numbers out of there. We did a lot of, we, well, we had done other events in the past and we had, we knew what it take, we knew what it would take to put on 
an event of the caliber we wanted. And so, you know, maybe, maybe some more, uh, transparency into that kind of thing is something people would want to see. Um, not saying we're going to do that, but, but I think, I think if people understood a little bit, like what, like what types of expenses go into putting it on an event like this, the, like the numbers would start to add up and they would go, Oh, okay. Like I, I see, I see where you're coming from now. Uh, because the reality is that this is not, uh, is not a, in it by any means is a cash grab for us. I mean, we essentially make back the money for, we invest for our time and that's about it. So, um, almost all of the money that, uh, people spend on, like we're really deliberate about the money people are using to buy a ticket is spent on making them have a great experience with a great educational value attached to it. So, no, that's great stuff. I mean, the, the context of value, that kind of thing, um, you know, is, is a great lesson for anybody who's, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's an event or if it's the, if it's the product side of the house. Um, you know, if it's one thing for, for the community, the WordPress product community at large to be like, everybody should raise their rates, freelancers, designers, product people, everybody's going to raise their rates. Well, yeah, sure. It's, it's easy to do. It's easy to say. Uh, probably easy to do too. You just switch a number on your website, <laughs> but right. if you can't pitch uh, the, the the value or you don't provide that story behind it, then yeah, people are gonna when you go to market, people are gonna freak out a little bit. Yep. Um, any other parting words of advice to somebody who's out there right now, about to start their business or launch their first product? Uh, any sage advice from the Ryan Sullivan? Uh, that you can uh, that you can dawn upon us. Oh man! Uh, so I, I would say uh, the the people that I like in terms of the WordPress space. Uh, I'm becoming one of I'm becoming one of the old people in this space, and so you know, for people who are just starting out, I think um, if I were kind of to start not start over, but if I if there was stuff that I really wanted to learn or wanted or, or before I even set up a business at all, I would have found out who kind of the most helpful people in the WordPress space were first and asked, like done research and found out who they were and literally asked them, I, I would have gone through a list of 20 and asked them like, what can, what would you have done differently? And so that's kind of like an advice, that's a piece of advice to get more advice, but really taking your time and like understanding uh, my, my guess is that most of the entrepreneurs in this space have tried a lot of different things and being able to kind of glean from their experience and figure out what is it that, uh, you know, what did, what did you screw up? Like if you go to the, go to them with a business plan, I want to make that clear. Like don't, don't just go ask, you know, what can, what, what, what would I like, what should I do? Go say, this is what I want to do. You know, where does this fall short or whatever? And where, like, what, what are some things to look for? And I think that's probably what I would, uh, really, uh, recommend beyond anything else. I'm always open. Like if somebody wants to ask me, you know, specific questions about, um, 
an idea or a plan they have, I'm always open to, to share feedback on that. And I know a lot of other people, Matt, you, a lot of other people are willing to do the same. So, um, I, I think the, I think the main thing to remember though, is to like people's time is valuable. So if you're going to approach someone with a question, make sure you've kind of done, done a little bit of your homework too. It's amazing advice, Ryan. Thanks for doing the show. Where can folks find you to say thanks? Uh, Twitter's usually the easiest. It's uh, Ryan Don, D-O-N Sullivan, at Ryan Don Sullivan on Twitter. Everybody else, it's MyReport.com. Slash subscribe, join the mailing list. And if you did enjoy an episode like this and you fancy getting more, keep the encouragement flowing. Leave me a five-star review on iTunes. It's really appreciated. Uh, and uh, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everyone. Did you enjoy this episode? Head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps. I say it all the time, but it definitely, definitely does. Always reach out to our guests and say thanks. Uh, we always link them up at the end of the show to share their Twitter account or wherever they can be found online. So make sure you go ahead and do that. They spend a lot of time with us. And thank our sponsors, Pagely and Valet, for keeping the Matt Report going until the end of the year. If you're interested in sponsoring the Matt Report, you can get a hold of me. It's mattreportblog at gmail.com or just mattreport.com slash contact. Reach out. Uh, we are looking for sponsorships going into 2017. Again, if you want to sponsor one of the premier WordPress podcasts out there, go ahead and reach out mattreport.com slash contact. 